When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to This is the Place, a podcast series from The Common Magazine on the New Books Network. The Common publishes literature and art with a modern sense of place. I'm Emily Everett, managing editor of the magazine and host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Nayara Dusty about her story, The Little One, which appears in the most recent issue of The Common. Nayara Dusty is an Iranian writer and translator based in Berkeley, California. Her writing has appeared or is forthcoming in Epiphany Magazine, the Massachusetts Review, and Noru's Journal, among others. She holds an MFA from Boston University. She was also an intern at The Common while an undergrad student at Amherst College. Nayara Dusty, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Emily, for having me. It definitely feels special to be doing this with The Common after all these years, so I'm excited. Have you you back here with us? Uh, Would you set the scene for our conversation, describe where you're calling from now? Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm in Berkeley right now. I just moved in the fall or late August, and uh, I got some nice succulents outside, nice orange tree, lemon tree. I think it's like sour orange, which is nice because uh, when it had blossoms, I could sort of smell it when it didn't have allergies. Um, And yeah, it's nice. I got some nice dry flowers that I was not cool enough to dry myself. But um, uh, I got them from the grocery store, and they're pretty nice. So yeah, so, and recovering from the recent thunderstorms, so got the sun out finally. Oh, good. Yes, yeah, you've had some weather there for sure. Yeah. Um, I would love to start off with a reading from your story. Would you read the first few paragraphs for us? Yes, yeah, sounds great. All right. Um, the little one. The baby would be fine, Saeed's wife said. As the family gathered around the dinner table for his special dessert, a beet cake with yogurt icing and his home-brewed beer, Saeed agreed to watch the kids on Thursday so that his wife could have a day to herself. They were his grandchildren too, after all. Although it was only his fifth day in the new country, he had already gotten over his jet lag, touched and kissed his family multiple times, and been given a tour of the neighborhood. He had also bought a road bike and signed up for a spot at the community garden. Now it was time to get acquainted with the grandkids. His wife, Goli, handed out plates, while his son buckled the baby in her reclined feeding chair. The baby had a fuzzy and soft-textured mold that stretched behind her ear. It was harmless, but despite himself, Saeed found the look of it nauseating. He made sure to sit across from the baby, blocking the brown lump from his view. What about the little one? Saeed's son, Cyrus, looked at his mother as she helped the baby put on a bib. The baby began chewing on the plastic sleeve, which her grandmother rolled up. Thank you for reading that. Uh, For our listeners who may not have read your story yet, would you describe what what you feel the piece is about? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a bit hard for me to summarize (laughs) my own stories, but I would say that it's about Saeed. an Iranian grandfather whose son sort of came to the States as, as a graduate student and 
started a family and stuck around. And um, so throughout the years, his wife, the grandmother, has come to America to visit the family, see the kids. They meet up in other places in the world, but Said sort of has felt very strongly about um, not coming to America. And so he has never had a chance to see what his son's life in America is like. Uh, and then after a series of events, um, he decides to go and get a visa and come visit the family. And I think sort of throughout the story, he realizes that um, it's in fact harder to get used to his own family than the new country, basically. So, yeah, I hope oh, That's perfectly said. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I've been lucky enough to read a few of your pieces. Um, I've loved all of them. I'm so happy that this one has its home at the Common. And I'm wondering what inspired you to start work on it? Um, like, how did the first draft come together? Thanks, Emily, um, for your sweet words about about the story. So I, I think um, honestly, this is probably this, this probably doesn't sound great about my writing process, but most of my stories don't really start with this some, like bigger or grand idea of a plot or or um, some sort of message I want to get across. It often starts with like a scene I find interesting and, and fun to expand, or or if I'm lucky with a character that I find interesting, and then sort of the story. Um, if I'm lucky, organically grows out of that. Um, so this one, I think it's like a series of images and, and characters I wanted to explore. Um, and uh, I'll start with the most ridiculous one, which is I started the story back in 2020, 2021, like the height of the quarantine. And sadly, I was spending a lot of time on social media mm-hmm. um, and Instagram, which I don't have anymore, thank God. Because I was spending a lot of time there, and I just came mm-hmm. across this Iranian woman, older lady, who just looked absolutely gorgeous and very young, and sort of like you could, you know, she dressed like a fifteen-year-old, and I just got <laughs> so fascinated by how youthful she looked. And obviously, it's Instagram, and there's a lot of beauty there. And and I just was like spending a lot of time scrolling and just looking at her images, and I wanted to imagine like. what the life of someone um could look like that you know outside that sort of that was one image which um is I think ridiculous and then the the other two pieces one another I guess sort of funny moment was um I had an older teacher who once sort of jokingly definitely jokingly mentioned that his wife is away and uh he uh he's trying to figure out um, what to do for dinner and couldn't feed himself and it was supposed to be funny but then I thought it was like um, something there to work mm-hmm. with and uh, I, I guess it made me want to imagine the life of uh, of, of an older man uh, with the confidence that is unique to often men in, of, of that age mm-hmm. uh, sort of navigating his life without without uh, without a family um and then lastly and i think this is really truly the most important is that um i had a good friend who uh, whose family had immigrated from lebanon and they had this family legend going about uh, that everyone loved to talk about i think about um either a great grandfather or a great uncle who who would just refuse to come to America. I mean, they're, they're, most of their extended family had settled here. Um, and he would just refuse to come see 
either his extended family or just his own children here. He had a fruit stand uh, in a small town in Lebanon and would just say, this is my life. My life is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friends are here. My fruit stand is here. I have no interest in coming to America. And I just thought that level of attachment um, to to a community more than, I guess, to some degree, one's family was just, I was very intrigued by it. And it sort of became my legend too. My, you know, I became invested in this, in this story, wanted to imagine what that would be like um, um, and what inspires that. So sort of Saeed vaguely came out of all these images and I guess Saeed's wife as well. And uh, uh, yeah. That's so interesting. So, so, Goli is inspired by by the woman that you kind of saw on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, by, by 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 an Instagram account of a of a social media model, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, technically, but you know, just just some images. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything more about that about that person. <laughs> no, that's so interesting, and I do love uh, you know your point about the the confidence of the older man sort of in his element and it's so great that's why it's so great to see Saeed really out of his element and he doesn't have that same confidence or he tries to but it doesn't always go mm-hmm. go right yeah oh that's great um I think this story captures um the, the tension of that situation with, with such great nuance you know Saeed is trying to settle in um he's sort of longing for his life back home which he you know had a total handle on knew how to do everything there um and, and, you know, wants to be with his family, but also feels a little alien from them. And sometimes they kind of annoy him or disgust him. And I just think that's so fantastic. Can you talk about getting that balance right, that that complexity of his character and his desires? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, well, one thing that was interesting to me about this character is, like, it's he's exactly the opposite of sort of um, with, with his attachment to his place and his lack of curiosity for for seeing what the life that his son has established is like. It's exactly the opposite of what my own dad has expressed throughout the years. Um, my sister lives in the Netherlands and he's always wanted to come see what life is like for us here. And sadly, his visa um, has gotten rejected multiple times. So he's never really had, um, had a chance to see what our lives is like. And so it's just the complete opposite of that. And then I think to sort of bring out that tension and to imagine what it's like to have a community and sort of have that absolute lack of interest, um, bring out the tensions and the anxieties that finally provoke him and encourage him to come. Um, to, to set that up, I chose the bike shop as a setting because I could just sort of imagine the sorts of um, gossips and the sort of gossip and the sort of like environment that you know you get the hookah out and then you come and talk about so-and-so's wife and so-and-so's son who died and who got ill and who got divorced and and I thought that that could help me bring out the tension um of like these are his people this is it could really help me um imagine a life that is that is full and that is not lonely for an older person um so yeah I, I think that setting and I did worry about it being maybe sometimes a bit cliche but it's the setting that helped me um bring out as much tension as I could and in, in sort of pushing him to change his mind over time that's really interesting I think one of my favorite moments in the piece is the conversation Saeed has with a Pakistani man he meets at the community garden 
Um, it's really funny. Like it's tense, but it's really funny that, that they misunderstand each other. Saeed doesn't know what POC means, um, that it means person of color. Um, did you have fun writing that scene? Yeah, thanks. Um, no, I did. And I'm glad that, that you found it funny. I, I When I try to write somewhat funny scenes, it's you never know if it lands or not. But, uh, so thanks for that. I Yeah, I okay. So frankly, I think part of it was just trying to play with this idea or explore um, even if like in a very limited way how um, drastically different racial formation and sort of the is you know in, in, in that context in Iran and in America and it that was maybe a little bit of myself in the story in, the, in learning how racial politics and everything else works in this country and it took me more than a decade um, and I'm still learning yeah. but really uh, and I just thought you know this guy is completely poor I mean I came around 17 16 and I'm still sort of figuring out how uh, sort of you know that history and the politics of race work in this country and 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 uh, just imagine this guy who is so into his own his own sort of idea of his nation and um, how ethnicity and race works there and sort of getting introduced to what how he's perceived here and uh, I just wanted to have fun with his reaction to that and then the, the bit with POC and this might be embarrassing to share it was actually from my own personal experience I of course as a junior at Amherst College I learned the word POC as a, at least the acronym mm-hmm. um, I someone invited me to a potluck and they said you know is a POC potluck you should come over and I and I embarrassingly enough went home and to my computer and looked up PLC <laughs> and I realized uh, it's people of color. So I just you know it's a, it's a mm. moment that comes to my life a lot when I think about things I've learned about about politics in this country and mm. and I thought it can in some ways capture or encapsulate encapsulate the the humor and the sort of the, the learning process of it in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to make it sound like it's just a funny scene. Like I think it's so um fascinating, like the the man who's been in America identifies with Saeed because they're both what he calls brown. Whereas Saeed, of course, is you know, is Iranian, not Pakistani, and is like, what are you talking about? Like we're not the same. Yeah, definitely. And I had wanted a little bit of that sort of annoying yeah. what I f- find annoying sort of attachment to the, the you know, greater Iran and and uh, whatever it is that Iranians can sometimes perceive themselves at. And then, um, yeah, I definitely was trying to have fun with that. So I'm glad you uh, you found it funny too. No, it's it's definitely, I mean, it's meant to be funny. It's meant mm-hmm. to sort of poke fun at, at this, this attachment that sometimes um, I see in not necessarily older generations in Iran either. I probably went through that phase myself too, but thank God I've grown out of it. (laughs) Oh, that's really interesting. I'd love to hear how this piece has shifted from the first draft. Um, You know, like you said, you wrote it 2020, 2021. So it's a long time ago. I'm sure it's gone through some revision. Um, I don't think we did much revision with it. I think we did fairly minor revisions to it after acceptance, but did, did you revise it a lot on your own? Um, so honestly, with this story, not too much, but it, I did spend a lot of time with the character in like 
<laughs> in, in my thoughts and and I think mm-hmm. often it works better I mean I, I'm not against revising I do revise a lot but this is one of those stories where I I thought a lot about and then once I wrote it I was um with the plot as a whole I was I felt content um at least at the time I think the yeah, most of the revision came in you know, with happened with the language i uh, i had this and and that was uh the common suggestion too i had this ending where i wanted sort of the language to represent what Said was going through as he was running after his his grandchild and uh i guess that's a spoiler but uh, <laughs> and so i wanted you know he had racing thoughts and racing heart mm-hmm. and he's just like i wanted sentences to be choppy and, and fast-paced but it didn't quite work um, and I'm glad I changed it. So yeah, I think that was the biggest part I changed and a little bit of the language throughout the story. But this one, um, I'm, yeah, I don't think I had any major revisions, uh, plot-wise at least. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, this is what I remember more, more or less. Do you have revision strategies that you return to or that you always go back to? I, I feel like I really don't have any and I just, every piece requires kind of something totally different. No, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It helps when you have readers and, and they tell you, I have readers, friends I trust, uh, whose who's writing I like. And I feel like um, it's best to get feedback from people whose writing you, you sort of... Um, like as well because you can agree on certain things most likely so I, I i trust my readers a lot um but yeah like you said each piece is different so i feel like it sounds like i don't revise because on this one i didn't do enough but uh, it's not the case for sure yeah i think i usually just end up writing my stories are always way too long so my revision is always sort of driven by the knowledge that it needs to be shorter and that helps me like focus it. But if I ever wrote something that wasn't too long, I'm not even sure that I would know what to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so you did your BA here at Amherst college um, and worked for the common when you were here and then you did an MFA at BU um, and now you're in Berkeley. What are you doing there? Um, do you love California? Yeah, um, I honestly love it more than I thought I would, which is good because I've spent most of my life in America on the East Coast, and uh, and I was like, it felt like a second big move, almost like moving to a new country again. But uh, I actually love it. I love that I can bike everywhere. And uh, did you ask what I'm doing? Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing a PhD. So I just started oh. my first year in like Middle Eastern languages and cultures, specifically working with Persian literature. Um, so it's, it's my first year. It's been, it's been fun. No, I, I, I'm loving the Bay area more, more. really, I'm surprised how much I've liked it. (laughs) Food is great. Amazing produce. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's just nice. We just got back from, we had an event for the common in in Los Angeles and it was my first time going to, to LA and the food and the grocery stores and the flowers and the yards. It was just, (laughs) You know, it's the dead of winter right now in Massachusetts, so it was really wonderful. It's, it's yeah. it, I always get annoyed that California really is as good as everyone says it is. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's it's nice here because it doesn't get the bay, it doesn't get too hot. So right, I yeah. I like that balance. Yeah. Um. Oh, that's great that you're doing a PhD. Um. That sounds so fascinating. I mean, I know that you do translation. You do translation from Persian to English and also from English to Persian. Um, is that something you're, you're sort of focusing on while you're studying? Thanks. Yeah, um, sort of. I have projects here and there. I I have some like exciting news about 
Persian to English translation that I guess I can't officially announce yet, but I have some something exciting going. That's so great. And and, and then I I just um had like two weeks ago the book came out. I I translated um Alexander Hamon's Book of My Lives into Persian. I did that also like in 2020 and worked on it throughout the years um with the publication date that got delayed over and over again as it happens because it needed a lot of revision. But it just came out two weeks ago and I'm very excited oh to gosh. I'm gonna go home in March and finally see a hard copy and bring one. So yeah, um, these are it. It took so long. It feels like I just finally finished it. Um, so that's the most exciting news. <laughs> that's amazing! Wow, congratulations! Thank you. That's so I, I'm so excited that you're going to be able to see it at last. Um, Thanks. I've been at the Common for about eight years, so I've seen a lot of interns sort of pass through our office, our closet office, and our staff meetings. Um, and it's it's always really fun to see where everyone ends up. And I was so excited to see. Um, that you did this Persian translation of Alexander Haman's book, um, because I remember you interviewed him for the Common <laughs> in 2017. I think he came he came to campus and you sort of insisted that you needed to interview him. Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I actually I think sort of helped bring him to campus. I oh, suggested awesome. him to the I, I forget what series it was. It was a reading series, and I suggested him. I met him in Bosnia when I was a sophomore at Amherst, and I got some money to go there because I was fascinated by the history of former Yugoslavia mm. and Amherst gave me money and so it helped so I spent mm-hmm. the summer there and when I was in Sarajevo he came he had just started a book festival called Bukistan he gave a talk and and then I became interested in him read his his um I'm not sure if you could call it a biography it's like a mm. collection of essays personal essays um and I think, especially at that age, it really had an impact on me because I was still trying to get used to life in America, and and I wasn't allowed to visit home that often because of the limits of my visa at the time. So it, it was a very difficult. I mean, I wasn't technically an international student, but it, it felt like sort of immigrating at a young age because I wasn't really going back and forth a lot. And I think his book, especially at the time, was very approachable to me. It sort of. Um, talked about of course immigration and like getting used to life here and and also like american politics and whatnot in a, in a way that felt very um that was very funny he's a very funny guy but then also very easy to understand for me at that age so i i, I really connected with the book um and yeah and so he, he came to emerson i really wanted to interview him. i honestly am not i would have obviously spent six years and six seven years i would have done the interview uh very differently if i were to do it (laughs) i haven't looked back at it (laughs) yeah yeah i'm not quite uh proud of it but you know i was much younger Mm -hmm. um and yeah it feels really special to um i didn't think you know interviewing him at at like 18 or so i'm not sure how long it's been or how old i was exactly but uh that i would be translating his book but he was very sweet and generous when i wrote to him i Mm. thought i wanted to start getting into translation more seriously and then i had this i I talked to this publisher at home and they were like all right tell us like what suggestions you have and i just felt like if that book really helped me through a very difficult time uh, and it just made sense to for that to be the first book I translated. And at the time, he hadn't been translated into Persian that much. Maybe only one of his books, um, but now it's been, uh, you know, in in the past seven years, more of his work has been 
translated to Persian and published in Iran. But it still feels special to do, you know, specifically translate that book. Yeah, absolutely. I do have memories of you sort of getting into translation sort of maybe the second half of your time at Amherst. So it is it's just magical to see, yeah, this coming together. Thank you. Um, that's so great. Um, so usually the last question we ask people on the podcast is what's coming up next, but it sounds like you have secret news you can't tell us yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it sounds, and now it makes it uh, sound maybe bigger than it actually is, but I am also writing. I'm, I okay. guess the biggest thing is important to put it out there. I'm looking for an agent. <laughs> Oh, okay, um, and I, you know, I, I just have realized that I'm a short story writer and I, I'm writing short stories here and there. I've attempted novels, like probably three. And I've just realized I'm just not a novelist. I really am not. It's just not the form that works for me. It's not the form I'm, I have fun with or not that writing is always fun, but right. it's just, yeah. But it's hard. It's hard to, you know, you finish the MFA and for the MFA bashers out there, I did love it. I went into it because I needed a visa and I, I ended up loving it, actually. And it's, who doesn't want to get paid and, and write and get their pieces workshop? So, yeah. you know what? MFA bashers, get over yourselves. Um, <laughs> it's like something every time I tell people I did an MFA, I have to hear their take on it and I'm getting quite tired of it but uh it's so funny I just feel like these things just ebb and flow in the literary world because like when I started at the common and when I started writing I felt that I was so insufficient because I didn't have an MFA and everybody was like you have to get an MFA and now the pendulum is swinging back and people are burnt out on MFAs yeah. so it's like yeah don't listen to anyone like <laughs> everybody needs something different and exactly. what, we, what we all mostly need is time to write and an exactly. MFA is exactly that. <laughs> no, exactly. That's exactly my take too. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, I, you know, and once I did that, I've just like, you know, the next step is, I guess I'm trying to get more pieces out there and get an agent. And I just, you know, they often express that they're interested in the novel and then mm. I, and then I just try writing more of it and it just doesn't feel right. So I, but it's hard, it's hard to be, uh, when it comes to publishing, taken seriously when you, when you work, uh, most of the short stories, but, um, so yes. it's all to say I'm writing short stories and, but, uh, and struggling to write novels that I don't think are are uh my thing to do mm. yeah or eventually you you know the, the thing might come that you are excited to write a novel yeah about. maybe it's true yeah it's true it's not something you should do unless you're excited about it because it is so long <laughs> <laughs> yeah well Nayari thanks so much for joining us it's been really great talking with you catching up um talking about this beautiful story that you wrote for the common Thank you so much, Emily. It was lovely to talk to you. Listeners, you can read The Little One and subscribe to the latest issue at thecommononline.org.